Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is episode 34 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everybody's having a good week out there. Glad to be back on a regular schedule here. I've had a lot going on lately, and in fact, today kind of culminated in some of that. I have two separate projects that I've been working on on top of, you know, running two podcasts and working a full-time job and being a dad and all those other things. And those projects kind of came to a head today. One of them, which is podcast-related, uh, I got a sample peek at something that's coming I can't talk about yet, but the sample really made me excited for what is to come, and it's been a lot of fun, and it, it's given me the motivation to get back to working on that. The other project, not podcast-related, uh, you know, is something I've been working on over the past couple of weeks and has kind of reached a stopping point um basically in that i've taken it as far as i can and now i have to kind of go into a holding pattern i have to wait i hate waiting but i have to wait and be patient and see what comes from these seeds that i've planted so if you can send me some goodwill out there i would really appreciate it uh, as I said, things not under my control, but something that I have been working towards nonetheless. Let's take a look at what's been going on with the podcast. Last week was, of course, Mother's Day. Talked a little bit about that in our introduction to Harold and Maud last week. So I, I posed the question for the Friday Inquiry in honor of Mother's Day. This week's Friday Inquiry is, who is your favorite cinematic mother? And here are some of the answers we got over on Twitter, where you can find us at Have Not Seen This. Passion Fruits Podcast said Serial Mom. James Rodriguez said Sarah Connor. Alex Kunka said she fought to the death for her children. Hashtag Mother's Day. Talking about Ellen Ripley. Chris Talent said Easy. Princess Leia. Thomas Mariani said a very underrated example, Annie Hughes in The Iron Giant. Probably the best example in terms of animation, though that's a limited field given how many Disney moms have been killed off screen. And Dunking and Dragons said Molly Weasley. Over on Facebook, where we can be found at Have Not Seen This Podcast, Luke Kunka said Ellen Ripley, badass xenomorph slayer who was just trying to get home for Amanda's 11th birthday. Chris Eklund said Sarah Connor is a solid choice, but for my money, I'll go with the bride, Beatrix Kiddo, or Pamela Voorhees. Uh, Louis Ramirez said Norma Bates' mother. For someone who is already dead, she sure gets her son to do some crazy things. And Jeff Moore chimed in with Norma Bates as well, agreeing with that. Uh, some great choices in there. I particularly really like Thomas's choice. Annie Hughes and the Iron Giant. The Iron Giant as a whole is an underappreciated film. Uh, it really didn't do great when it first came out. And I know it's picked up a cult audience over time, but really cannot stress enough what a fantastic movie that is. If you have not seen that, if that's on your have not seen that list, definitely go check it out because it's really great movie. Brad Bird, who did The Incredibles started with the Iron Giant. So definitely worth a look. Great picks all around. Lots of action moms in there, which I found really interesting. Low on the drama, high on the action, but I guess we like to know that our moms can kick ass. For this week's movie, uh, this is one that I've been holding on to for a while. I kind of alluded to it uh, early on. Uh, this is Day of the Dead from 1985. It is a zombie film, and we haven't really done a lot of horror on this show. A little bit here or there, but this is probably the first real, true horror movie that we've looked at. And it comes to us via George Heffler from the podcast Best Little Horror House in Philly. I love the name of his podcast. Such a great thing. But he's a he's a horror guy. And we have a great conversation about this one. Now, we recorded this back in March, uh, specifically on March 23rd, right as... A lot of states were putting the shelter-in-place orders out there, and things were really starting to crack down, and uh, we're still in the middle of it. But it kind of felt like enough time has passed that it, it doesn't seem as scary to watch a movie about an apocalyptic world as maybe it did a month ago. As you know, I've been trying to focus on feel-good movies for a little while, but this one felt 
there's there's something in the conversation that still feels really relevant and poignant to what we've seen over the past two months and what we're continuing to see. And so I think it's a really good episode. I think it's very timely with when I'm releasing it. There's a part of me that really kind of w- would have wished to hold on to it all the way until October so I could have had some horror movies for the horror month, but I I feel like this is a good time to release this one. We have a great conversation. This was one of those movies I hadn't seen, having seen Romero's first two films, but somehow skipping over this one. And it's something we talk about in the podcast. Uh, uh, George gave a great conversation and really enjoyed getting to check out Day of the Dead. And I hope you like our conversation about it. So here we go. 1985's Day of the Dead. So you're you're definitely I mean you you do a horror podcast uh so you're you're definitely a horror guy right Yes but it actually is sort of a more recent thing in the grand scheme of things uh I I found that this is the case for a lot of horror fans but I was actually quite the cowardly little boy <laughs> um, <laughs> I got scared off very young uh on a school trip to Washington DC we watched the uh, it mini series and it ah. really just scared the crap out of me. And I was so scared that I was, I was, I swore off horror for forever. But, you know, you kind of get that attraction revulsion phenomenon going where the thing that you hate, you also want to look at. And so I would always be like, oh, well, I can't watch the movies, but I can read the synopsis on Wikipedia or, oh, I can look at the covers of these horror books and stuff and just imagine what the stories are like. My my son is 11 years old and he seems really captivated by Pennywise. Yeah. Um to the point that we just were talking about that mini series not 2 days ago. Um wow. and I was trying to explain to him, you know, that's what I grew up with hmm. and it's a a very different take on Pennywise oh, yeah. than the more recent movies. Yeah, definitely. Um still very scary though in its own way. I mean, Tim Curry does a great great job, but uh Skarsgård, uh, he does a he does a pretty great job with the more recent thing as well, and I just you know a, as I became more interested in film and film criticism, it felt very obvious to me that I couldn't have a well rounded perspective without like while I was just completely ignoring an entire genre of movies, and so right. what I did was I kind of did like immersion therapy with it, and I started off with um, some classics that are more campy than actual scary at this point. I started off with the Friday the 13th movies and then I moved to um, Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and Child's Play and Hellraiser. And by the time I had finished these like classic uh, tentpole franchises of horror, I had kind of uh, inured myself enough to the scares that I was able to more um, rationally handle the more current stuff that looked more realistic and uh, was perhaps a little more scary to uh, to me in a more um, visual sense, you know? Right, right. Yeah, um, no. Yeah, I have never seen a Friday the 13th movie. I grew up with Freddy. I was a huge Nightmare on Elm Street right. fan once I got into horror in my, I guess, later teen years or mid-teen years. Um, because I was, I was a a scared little boy too. Like it took me a while to take to horror. Mm -hmm. Um, but I loved the nightmare on Elm street movies, but somehow I have just never sat down and watched a Friday the 13th movie. I actually, of those classics, I think that it is the most consistent of the franchises. Um, I think that there are perhaps higher highs in some of the franchises, but there's only one Friday the 13th movie where I am like, I can't find anything redeemable in this. And the rest of them are various shades of either genuinely fun horror or something that is uh, so bad and fun to watch that you have a good time anyway. Which, which one's the one that has nothing redeemable to it? Uh, That would be Friday the 13th part nine, Jason goes to hell. I knew that's the one you were going to say, just based on uh, another friend's podcast where they have they have discussed that very movie, and that that's pretty much the conclusion they reached. Was, it's yeah. really awful. <laughs> so, what do you consider to be the scariest movie you've seen? What what movie still hmm. terrifies you? Boy, I uh, I would say that it would 
be one of either two. Uh, the first one might be The Witch, um, which is a more recent movie, uh, which from I have not seen. It's really great. I think that Anya Taylor Joy is a really spectacular actor, and I think that she's probably going to be one of horror's greatest stars of this decade. And uh, that movie is so scary to me on just such a primal level. And it's funny because I'm not particularly religious or anything, but just like this Puritan folktale just really strikes such a chord with me that it's it's very frightening. And the other one that really sticks out is um, John Carpenter's The Thing. Just oh. the the body horror in it is something about being so close to the actual way that humanity is supposed to look, but not being quite right. Um, just really unsettles me on a really deep level. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that kind of applies to a lot of that kind of body horror stuff. The the very recent um, Color Out of Space Richard Stanley movie I thought was absolutely fantastic. And it really reminded me of the thing in terms of kind of where it goes in terms of this um, body horror, really grotesque kind of uh, thing. So uh, definitely recommend all three of those movies to people. Yeah, the color out of space, uh, the trailer immediately captivated me. I love the story by Lovecraft, but I didn't get to see the movie yet, and I believe it's already out on digital. Yeah, so it is. I have um, the, uh, the Blu-ray. Uh, that's how captivated I was by it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and The Witch has been on my list for uh, a very long time. I and think it's then, on Netflix. Yeah, it, it, out there. it's on no maybe it is netflix i i know um his next picture which i've suddenly gone blank on the name of um hereditary oh that's actually uh not robert eggers that's ari aster but very similar styles Um, that's right and they kind of came out at the same time and and they kind of were the forefathers of this kind of new wave of horror so i have a lot of respect for both of them gotcha gotcha so what are your have not seen this movies? Like what movies are gaping holes that you get harassed over not having seen? Oh boy. Um, uh, I guess uh, a big one that it was. So this was the case for a very long time and I actually just fixed it, but it, it's definitely the one that sticks out is um, I am not really a huge war movies guy. Um, I prefer my horrors to be much more fantastical. (laughs) And uh, and so I had never seen Apocalypse Now, and I just recently watched it, and I did really enjoy it. I I mean, it's considered a classic for a reason, but I also I'd watched the uncut version, and I also was like, I looked up what got cut and i was like i think i would have liked that version better <laughs> yeah yeah that was my first experience with that movie too as i watched the uh uh the extended version and was like huh there's a reason why yeah. i mean it's a brilliant film i love that movie right but sometimes editors know what they're talking about yeah well you brought a horror movie to discuss today which surprises me i keep getting people from very um genre specific shows of their own and mm. they they continue to bring those genres here which I, I i guess i shouldn't be surprised by that because if you're a horror guy then it makes sense you'd want to speak horror if you're a kid's <laughs> movie person then you'd want to talk about those but i always feel like this is an opportunity to branch out but today we are talking about 1985's day of the dead uh the third in george romero's zombie trilogy i guess yeah uh written and directed by george romero starring laurie cardiel terry alexander joseph pilato anthony DeLeo jr richard liberty and sherman howard yep great great movie yeah <laughs> First, he created the most frightening film ever made. Then, he took his unique vision of terror one step further. Now, George A. Romero takes us out of the night, beyond the dawn, and into the darkest day of horror the world has ever known. Day of the Dead. George A. Romero's Day of the Dead, the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history. 
So how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell them on wanting to see this movie? I actually think that this is a movie that's pretty easy to sell people on. And I tell them this. I tell them that it distinguishes itself from other zombie movies because it takes place in a world where the apocalypse has already happened. The zombies have won. They've taken over the earth. And this movie is just about trying to stay alive and figure out the next step. So many zombie movies, you know, are all about shattering the reality that we know by like showing the outbreak happening and how this disturbs the normalcy of the main characters lives. And in this, this is the new normal. It's, it's all about the breakdown of communication. And, uh, and I mean, this was also at a time when, Oh, humanity is the real monster. Wasn't quite as played out as it is now. Right. Um, right. So, so that's a, that's a, a fun message as well in terms of, uh, horror movies. Gotcha. So why day of the dead? And I'm going to, uh, add that question of all the movies that are out here. Why this one, especially because I, I noticed you've recently covered it on your own podcast. Yes, well, so I was actually delighted to, to recently cover it on my own show because it is genuinely one of my favorite movies. I really love what it does in terms of being a strong movie that exists in this world, but it's not so reliant on the zombies to provide the tension. Like, they're just set dressing, really. The movie is really about this bunker full of humans. And their relationships with each other. And so I think that that's really unique. And on top of that, I think that Tom Savini, who is the special effects artist for this movie, is doing just unparalleled work in it. It is some of the best gore effects I have ever seen. And the performances are great. And, you know, you have all all these parts that are working so well together. And it's completely overshadowed by the two movies that came before it, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, because, I mean, those are both absolutely incredible movies. They are trendsetters. They uh, have absolutely earned the reputation that they have. But for both of those to cast the shadow over what I actually think is a superior movie because both Savini and Romero have been honing their craft this entire time. I just think that it's not fair to this movie and I'll take any opportunity I get to preach the gospel of day of the dead and uh, get it in front of as many people's eyes as possible. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, why you'd want to discuss it on more than one podcast. Yeah. I guess that, that just kind of fits into the fabric of this show then. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote a, a, a paper in college about zombie movies specifically that people tend to poo-poo on zombie movies as a genre, not realizing that the real purpose of zombie movies tends to be an underlying social commentary. They're almost never really about the zombies. I mean, for instance, you know, Dawn of the Dead is really more of a satirical film about consumerism and commercialism than it is about a zombie invasion. You know, there's a reason why Romero has their place of refuge as a shopping mall, especially Mm -hmm. given the time period that it was put in. I I know what I got out of this one, uh, but I want to hear what you did. What what is the underlying social commentary going on with Day of the Dead? So for me, it's really about I think that you're right about zombie movies and the way that they represent something more. And I think that the fact that they are such a close reflection of humanity allows you to do a lot with them. They're a very um, broad canvas for people to write with uh, or paint with, I suppose. <laughs> and <laughs> so for me, I agree. I, I think that what he's talking about is it's a tragedy about how when communications break down, fear and chaos take over and, I think that this movie is asking what it means to be human in terms of the way that the zombies are approached with Bub and his whole kind of character arc there and 
the lack of humanity that the army characters, especially Joe Pilato's character, um, the way that they treat each other as less than human. I think that Romero is really talking about just how important it is to communicate with each other and to make sure that um, you don't let fear be the thing that controls you. Yeah, that's that's very similar to what I got out of it as well, uh, exemplified by a, a line that the doctor says, um, uh, Logan says, how are we going to set an example for them if we behave barbarically ourselves? Right. Now, he he's talking about setting an example for the zombies because he feels like they can be domesticated. He sees them as a, a more primitive human form. And that's something that with the exception of a few episodes of the walking dead, I haven't really seen in zombie fair before. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. I think, well, first of all, Greg Nicotero, who is the special effects guy and a huge part of the walking dead was part of the crew who worked on this movie as well. So easy to have that connection and, and, uh, see, see why, like where he would get that from. And, uh, and really kind of folded into his own perspective as well in a really positive way. But I also, there's another line from Dr. Logan that I agree that he's really, uh, he exemplifies this where he's talking to, uh, to Rhodes and he says, civility must be rewarded. If it's not rewarded, there's no use for it. And yes, he's like rocking back and forth. And like, you realize that he is going crazy here too. And the way that they're treating each other is, so stressful and and it's leading him to crack and so holding on to this idea that they can still be civil uh despite their uh extreme circumstances is representative of the strength of humanity in his eyes yeah well and we should we should add greg nicotero is you know one of the actors on screen in this as well right yeah he is. um but there's absolutely no uh, denying the impression this film in particular and working directly with Tom Savini on this film, the influence that that ends up having on Nicotero's work on The Walking Dead, where, you know, I mean, there, there's so many shots in this film that I was like, wow, Walking Dead is really paying homage to, <laughs> you know, this zombie appearance or that zombie appearance or this idea or or such. Right. Um, yeah, and and I mean, like I said, the effects are really incredible. The there's a moment where this guy is getting like pulled apart, and his voice like pitches up as his uh, like vocal cords are pulled, and it's just so gross. Like that's the yeah. only way to describe it. It's so gross. And I mean, when you read about what was going on on the set, one of the janitorial staff accidentally unplugged one of the refrigerators that was holding the genuine like pig intestines and stuff that they were using right. in viscera. So, you know, it's all rotting and everything on top of that. And just these effects are really incredible. I don't know that except for the thing, I don't know that I've ever seen anything that comes close to imagining it, especially not for a zombie movie. I personally didn't like the effects when it's like the zombie mob or I guess zombie herd to use a walking dead phrase. Right. I, I felt like the makeup was especially green. Well, I think that that's just the Romero, like that's his staple. Uh, I don't know. I, I definitely see how someone coming to it. I, I see your point. Absolutely. I, I, I think that definitely someone who is more used to kind of the like rotting. Uh, right kind of uh, makeup for a zombie that you might not be getting exactly what you expect. So definitely uh, I think that uh, you have to take the best effects I've ever seen in the context of the time as well. So <laughs> Right. Well, no, and but what I was going to say is, you know, I, I felt like a lot of the effects, especially of the mob didn't work, but boy, when they work, they really <laughs> work. Like right. I'm looking through my notes and it's like the vivisection, really good effect. Mm -hmm. When they cut off the guy's arm and it like takes two chops to get right. through. Oh my <laughs> God. The, the cutting, the which again, Walking Dead, you know, uses that. So right, again, the influence well, with, yeah. And with, uh, um, yeah, with Herschel, we'll just go with that. <laughs> I suddenly can't remember the other character, you know, with the, the, the tearing them apart, as you said, at the end, I mean, it's like those effects when they, 
worked and like the head that he uh john cuts off (laughs) and it's sitting there on the ground upside down and as they run away from it it blinks (laughs) i was like oh my god that was an amazing effect (laughs) yeah and it i i love that scene in particular because it has these really strong like uh reds and blues as they're running through that zombie area um just some really cool stuff uh, that i think is a lot of fun to keep an eye on and I mean, while all these effects are happening, you're also getting some really great performances. I mean, when oh, he's yeah. being torn apart at the end and 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 um, Rhodes is screaming choke on him. <laughs> like, what a way yes. to go out. Well, and I, let me talk about Rhodes for a second, uh, because you, you you made the comment about loss, the loss of humanity. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of one of the themes that you're seeing here. And as much as I would like to have just written off Rhodes as a one dimensional villain. No way. No. When he first confronts Dr. Logan in particular, he seems like he's being aggressive. He seems like he's being bombastic, but there is fear in his eyes of what's going on. Bluster, all bluster. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and that's really evident in the performance that's going on. And and he does represent that loss of humanity, especially later on when they're having the meeting and he tells our main character, Sarah, you know, sit down or I swear to God, I will shoot you. And it's like, there's the line and he just crossed it. If you don't listen to him, you're going to die. He has lost his humanity. He's yeah. lost his compassion, but that's not how he starts this movie even. Which I found really interesting that instead of making him just this bombastic bad guy, that there's actually at the very beginning kind of a sympathetic side to him. And you can see things from his perspective as messed up a perspective as that may be. Yeah. And I also think that uh, a lot of that is the fact that he when he sees what's going on with Bub it kind of represents a shift in the power dynamic. And I think that he's really scared of losing his, the the small amount of power that he's gained as well. Um, and the threat that this represents to his status, um, I think is part of what's driving his bombast and, uh, and his threats. Yeah. Okay. So a little context for listeners who haven't seen the movie, the good doctor, Dr. Logan, who's the head of the science team, Frankenstein, uh, nicknamed Frankenstein, <laughs> He feels like the zombies can be redeemed, I guess, is the Mm -hmm. best way to put it, that they have humanity to them, basically, Uh, that their need to feed is stemmed from instinct. There's actually their organs, their intestines aren't working, so there's no actual need to feed, but that they can be taught to be better. And the key specimen he has in this scientific endeavor, he has nicknamed Bub. And a, a skillful performance there on oh, yeah. that character in particular. And, and you know, I made the comment about the, the herd makeup kind of bothering me, but I noticed that Bubs was very subdued compared to some of the herd zombies. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's still got that little bit of humanity left to him. Yeah. And I mean, that's when he first says this idea about, you know, the zombies are in captivity. They're learning to be afraid uh, is a a concept that's brought up early on before we even meet Dr. Logan. Um, But then when he, you know, he has all these, he could almost be the villain of the movie as well Mm -hmm. from a certain point of view. And it's interesting. I I keep going away from the zombies as far as being villains because they really are (laughs) right. Like set decoration, but not until things go really wrong. They're not actually a threat as much as they are the, the setting of the film. Yeah, and I think that this is really demonstrated when we see some success from Frankenstein and the characters are as shocked as we are. Like, nobody expected them to have this humanity. Uh, And the small amount of hope that this gives them is almost terrifying instead of a good thing. Yeah, I I mean, he... He's a sick, messed up scientist. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he he's really and, and in fact, just saying that makes me think late, later on, we'll talk about other other movies uh, recommended. And it just dawned on me that that's what the connection with some of the movies that came up is the mad scientist idea that Dr. Logan represents in this film. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he could very well have been the villain of the film, mm-hmm. but then he gets you know gunned down by Rhodes, kind of <laughs> allowing right. him to become the the true villain of yes. the story. Take center stage. Yeah, it, it's kind of messed up because you really do have this battle for humanity going on between the would be antagonists of the film. You know that one feels like we can redeem the zombies and restore their humanity, and the other is busy losing his own humanity. Yeah, and I think that that kind of dual perspective is also applied to the protagonists as well in terms of Sarah being kind of the hopeful perspective of keeping her head up and and always pushing forward. And John, the pilot, is very apathetic and kind of just like, you know what, it's already hit the fan. Uh, there's nothing we can do at this point. We might as well just wait to die on an island. And kind of that discussion of do we owe it to each other do we owe it to humanity to keep trying to keep our to keep hoping and to work towards this goal for the greater good or you know at some point do you not have you paid your debt you know can you say i tried time to just look after myself and i think that that's a really interesting conversation that this movie tries to explore in a way that doesn't necessarily condemn either side right Right. Yeah, no, I wrote down in my notes that the um, escaping to an island plan sounded like the best idea. And then I remembered the uh, Dawn of the Dead remake, where if you watch the end credits and they get to that island, it doesn't go necessarily so well. Nope, definitely not. (laughs) Let's take a look at uh, what some of the critics said about the movie. It currently sits, which I guess is not really going to change. It sits at 83% at Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty positive. It actually only has a 75% audience score. So the critics, believe it or not, like it more than the audiences do. It sits at 60% at Metacritic. uh, And I pulled in a positive and a negative review like I normally do. Roger Ebert provides our negative review. And he writes, in the earlier films, we really identified with the small cadre of surviving humans. They were seen as positive characters and we cared about them. This time, the humans are mostly unpleasant, violent, insane, or so noble that we can predict with utter certainty that they will survive. According to the mad scientist in Day of the Dead, the zombies keep moving because of primitive impulses buried deep within their spinal columns, impulses that create the appearance of life long after consciousness and intelligence have departed. I hope the same fate doesn't befall Romero's zombie movies. He should quit while he's ahead. Ugh, what a grump. (laughs) And then on the flip side, coming from the BBC, Almar Hafedasen, I'm sure I murdered that name, writes, In creating the special effects that illustrate these aberrations, Tom Savini hits a grotesque career high. Flesh tears, bones snap, guts spill, and limbs rot faster than the viewers can spew. It's remarkably well done and a little sobering when you realize that Savini's background as a Vietnam War photographer adds the sickening blemish of reality to these audience-pleasing shocks. Yeah, I look, I think that Ebert completely misses the point here. I, the point that they are surface level, I think is totally missing that there are these archetypes that are being used to explore these conversations. You need to be able to understand who these characters are right away. And I think that Romero does that with a plum. So uh, listen, Ebert, he's like I said, he's a grump. So I take everything <laughs> he says with a grain of salt. <laughs> On one hand, I, I, I totally agree with you because I do think he's a little grumpy towards the movie. On the other hand, I was writing down on my notes as I was watching this that there's always that satisfaction when certain characters die in these zombie movies, that there are certain characters they build up to be such a pain in the butt that you're happy when they finally meet their inevitable end at the zombies. So I I kind of agree with him that they do kind of build the characters in such a way that some of them you're very happy to see them go and some of them you know right off the bat are going to make it out. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose that's true, but... It doesn't really bother me. I mean, with I mean, how many action movies? Like, you're never really worried about Indiana Jones, like, right? So, uh, I think that this is nitpicking as far as I'm concerned. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Not to dis- not to dismiss it, but <laughs> like, no, I, I mean, I, that's I just... why I pulled them in was is to get responses. So, yeah, yeah. I, I will say it was very satisfying to me when uh, Steel finally got his in the movie. Oh yeah, definitely. So I, I should add, I guess I should have said this sooner than half half an hour into our conversation. I had not seen this movie until now. 
I had seen the other two chapters. Uh, in fact, Night of the Living Dead was one of my introductions to horror movies, but I had not seen this one until you brought it up for the show. See, this is uh, this is my whole point is that so many people, you know, uh, I think that it's funny that it does have a good, you know, a relatively good critic score. But when you just when you compare that to the other two, which are at like mid to high 90s, I believe, like it, it really gets overshadowed. And uh, I think that it completes the trilogy in a way that is satisfying to me, at least. Now, why do we refer to it as a trilogy? Because I get, you know, Dawn, uh, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. But doesn't Romero continue to play with these themes and ideas in his future movies? He does, but um, those came much later. There's a pretty significant gap between um, kind of the periods that he did these movies in. And on top of that, these movies, uh, the first three, were all filmed pretty close back to back to back um, in terms of like, not not in terms of the way that they were shot, but just in terms of the way that they were written and everything. So it was kind of written as one continuation of the story. And then when he came back later, he felt that he had something to say. Um, and he sometimes missteps a little bit in terms of the quality of those later ones. So they just kind of are trilogies in the way that like uh, the um, Star Wars movies are trilogies where it's like just kind of separates oh, okay. the eras. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I got the impression uh, on reading up about this movie that land of the dead in many ways was a lot of the ideas that he originally intended for this movie, but then didn't, wasn't able to execute because of budgetary constraints. Yeah. The, the part is that I think that that one is a little bit more ham fisted and cartoonish than this one is money is useless and then there's a guy who's like stuffing his pockets and people are like what are you doing he's like well just in case and like (laughs) (laughs) it's just a little bit more of uh caricatures and these characters are already like i said pretty broad archetypes and so when you kind of uh get them to that point it becomes a little less effective for me plus um the scope of his message is not quite as focused so it's it's definitely not the worst one of the later films, but it's also, I don't think, nearly the same quality as these first three. Welcome to the Double Feature Picture Show. What do you want to see? Well, I want to see something really good and something really bad. Like maybe Total Recall and Junior? Sure. Or The Rocketeer and Country Bears? Absolutely. Maybe even Dogma and Yoga Hoses? I mean, of course. Who programs such cinematic excellence and hot garbage together? Why, only the double-edged double bill, my good man. Available on the ESO Network and wherever you get podcasts. So the film opens with a real attention-grabbing opening scene where we have Sarah alone in an empty room with only a calendar on the wall. And as she's looking at the picture on the calendar, a bunch of arms tear through the wall. They sure do. Boy, that got my attention. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a great beginning. Yeah. That's it's the first of three dream sequences that Sarah has that all end with her just about to be gotten before she wakes up. Uh, we have one at the beginning, one towards the middle, and one at the the very end. What do you feel is the significance of including those, especially the third one when what's revealed after the third one happens is that they are safe? Um, to me, I think that the the dreams are kind of representation of the trauma that they're going through. I think that, like I said, that Sarah represents kind of that hopeful perspective of um, we need to keep going, but... I think it's also important to note that she's not unaffected by what's happening. You know, she no. is bringing this stress of the situation into herself. And I said this on my show and I'll say it again. I think that Sarah is really one of the strongest female characters in horror because I don't think that strength is never being hurt or never feeling bad. I think that strength is feeling those things and then doing doing it anyway and moving forward anyway. And I think that that's exactly what Sarah is doing. I think that these dream sequences are her inhabiting that terror 
that she can't control in her like at night when she's sleeping these things come for her and her strength of character is such that she's able to put this aside and continue forward and um to really work towards the betterment of their situation yeah no i really liked the fact that she was not your typical scream queen type character that there is there's a real strength to her but at the same time Despite what like the first five, maybe 10 minutes of the movie make you think, there is a tenderness to her besides the strength that she's, again, it would have been very easy to make her a one dimensional character that falls on the actress to allow some of the softer side in. And I, I really feel like she nails it, especially later on when Sarah does get that moment of weakness of, of kind of giving in to the fact that everything has fallen apart here. Yeah. I think that the way uh, that this is handled in terms of her relationship that she's in is really remarkably done. Her boyfriend who is a member of the military is really at his last wit. He is completely snapped and she's really worried for him. And the way that she fights on his behalf to get him taken off duty because he is a danger to himself and others when he won't do that for himself is I think really brave of her to, to be willing to look out for the people that she cares about in that way. Um, And I think that it's reflected also in just her whole attitude about still wanting to work towards this cure. Yeah, no. And I, I just, I love how strong she is in that scene. So this is after her her boyfriend has gotten bit and they amputate the arm, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And she has that confrontation with Rhodes. And Rhodes at this point has definitely gone over the edge in losing his humanity and is basically, you know, wants to just write this other character off, Miguel, and just wants to write him off and he can't come back inside the compound and that's it. Mm -hmm. And she is so strong when she's standing up to Rhodes. And as soon as Rhodes and the other military meatheads go away is when she gets that moment of vulnerability. And it's, it's a wonderful moment. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it's. It it's fantastic. I, I love her colleagues though as well. Not necessarily so much Doctor Logan. I think he's crazy, but <laughs> the other two. Yeah, I think that they're a lot of fun. I think that they're in it just the right amount in terms of uh, like um, that kind of like I said, they're kind of the more apathetic in terms of the pilot, and then the other one is escaping into alcohol, and um, he's just become a, a drunk, and so like I said every person kind of represents an approach to the way that people would react to a situation like this. I think it's a really great microcosm of society and the attitudes that people would have. And uh, all of the actors do a really brilliant job of, of portraying them in terms of uh, fully realizing that archetype. Absolutely. All right. Let me look through my notes and see what else I want to talk about. What do you think? What do you want to chat about specifically? Just uh, what else do I want to talk about? I I think that there's a really interesting scene where John the pilot is telling Sarah that he thinks that this punish that this is a punishment from God that it's a biblical plague basically, and that part of that apathy that he has is because uh, he knows that a nobody's going to shoot him because he's the only one that he's the only one who can fly. But also the fact that this is divine means that this whole thing is doomed to failure and so the efforts of preserving the records of civilization is pointless so why stress about it and i think it's really interesting where like nihilism has this really kind of negative stain on it where people are like oh it's you're just depressed all the time and uh and like you hate everything nothing means anything but there's also kind of the flip side of that, and I think that John is kind of a really interesting representation of that nihilistic perspective where it's like, well, if nothing matters, then you might as well enjoy what you're going through. Like, you might as well go to this island. You might as well just hang out. And uh, and so I just think that that's a really interesting perspective that's not really explored that often. And the fact that Romero is able to explore all these messages in a really interesting way that is also effective as a movie, between like especially these first three you know, there's a different message in each one. You already mentioned the capitalism. Um, there's a lot of uh, racial overtones in the first one. 
and you think <laughs> and all, yeah and all these things uh just they they are captured so vividly while still working as an actual horror movie that i think that romero is a true master of his craft in terms of being able to communicate his message now that speech you were talking about uh, where john basically is writing this off as divine work. Is that the one where he's talking about all the stuff that they've found down in these mines, the the film prints and yeah. all the records and that kind of stuff. And, and that really left me with this thought of what, what is the worth of all of this data that we've collected over our existence? Mm-hmm. An idea that's even worse today than when this came out in 1985. Sure. I mean, the amount of information that's being both created and stored is exponentially growing. I mean, just the amount that is uploaded to YouTube and the amount of people who have podcasts and stuff now, because it's so accessible to people, um, there's a lot more cloud storage and and all these things and and these solid state hard drives that are just meant to be able to permanently capture these things and what if there was no one there to capture it for what if the end of the world happened and these things just sat there was it worth it who knows and, Who's and, to yeah <laughs> and i kind of feel like that's what romero's asking is what is the point of all of this right like, is this going to do us any good in the long run and i think kind of he's hypothesizing that depending on how the end of the world comes it's meaningless Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, I think that he's at least saying that that it's a idea that he respects, and uh, I don't think that he for sure falls one way or the other. I be, just because I think that he does such a careful job of presenting these other perspectives. Um, but I definitely think that he doesn't think it's out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, no. So, do you like Bob? Do I like Bob? Yes, I think that Bob is great. I think that it's funny that we talked about the lack of humanity of the soldiers and in one sarcastic salute, Bub displays more humanity than almost anyone in this movie. I think that it's a lot of fun seeing kind of a zombie come back from the brink. And it's not something that's explored very often at all. I can think of where uh, world war Z, the book explores it a little bit. And yes. uh, maybe like the very end of Shaun of the Dead a little bit when they're playing the video games. And that was exactly the reference that I was going to make. Yeah, that <laughs> I felt like there would that scene would not exist in Shaun of the Dead without Romero laying down that foundation with this movie. Oh, absolutely not. And I mean, I, Romero's thumbprint, I think, is all over Shaun of the Dead. Um, Edgar Wright has mentioned time and time again that he's a huge fan of these movies. And uh, even in things like when David is getting pulled out the window from the bar, um, he kind of gets like torn apart in the same way that um, that they get torn exactly. apart in the hallway. Um, yeah. And Romero actually called Edgar Wright to be like, hey, I loved this movie. And Edgar Wright said that that was one of the highlights of his life. So, yeah. Yeah. I, that was another one of those, you know, I I, I couldn't help making the, the Walking Dead references again because we have Greg Nicotero, you know, a direct connection between the two. But yeah, I mean, throughout my notes, I was like, well, wow, this is Shaun of the Dead or wow, this is, you know, this movie. I mean, it's there, there's no doubt Romero is, you know, the, the the grandfather of the zombie genre. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I think that this movie is kind of uh, this is going to sound very pretentious, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> this is uh, your favorite zombie movie guy's favorite zombie movie. <laughs> Um, so say, say that again. <laughs> so your favorite zombie movie guys, favorite zombie movie. <clears throat> so Edgar Wright, Greg Nicotero, Tom Savini, uh, and George Romero have all said that they love this movie. George Romero has said that this is his favorite of the movies that he's made. Um, and Tom Savini has said that this is his most fun project that he's ever gotten to work on. And I think that that really shows. And I think that People who are really into zombie movies, you know, they get a little worn out on some of these other themes that are explored a little bit more often. Um, And I think that Romero explores things in in a unique way. And I think that this particular movie explores a extremely, extremely interesting concept, even relative to the other great movies that he made. Do do you... (sighs) 
I, I didn't ask before, what is your history with this movie? When did you first see it? Um, boy, it really wasn't that long ago. Um, I would say probably like four years ago now at this point, I was, it was, it was like one of those things where I was similar to you. I had seen the first two and I was like, oh, you know, I had heard somebody talk about the, the character of Bub and I thought that it was really interesting that they were talking about this idea of bringing a zombie back from the, from the edge. And I had read the book of World War Z and like I said, they explore that a little bit in there as well. And so I was like, okay, like, let me go check this movie out. And I just absolutely loved it. I mean, like I said, I, I really, really enjoy Night of the Living Dead and um, Dawn of the Dead. And I even like uh, the Night of the Living Dead, uh, not Night of the Living Dead too, uh, Return of the Living Dead uh, a lot as well. I think that's a, a really fun movie. It's influence on the idea that zombies have a taste for brains cannot be overstated. That's a huge, huge part of zombie lore. But this movie is just so great and it and it has such a wide scope in terms of what it's approaching but it does it on such a small scale that it's very relatable and so that really stuck out to me right away and and that was it just i i loved it and i have been trying to get people to watch it ever since <laughs> well the the reason i ask your history with it and and you're you're in a similar situation as you said I didn't find this to be a scary movie. No, definitely not. Okay, so I'm not alone in that then. No, no. Uh, I don't – I mean I'm, I'm kind of at the point where my enjoyment of a horror movie is not contingent upon it actually being scary. In fact, I think that a lot of the times being afraid of something uh, can prohibit you from exploring the themes and the messages inside of it. So while I certainly can appreciate – the scares and stuff of a movie like the thing and like the witch. And I love to analyze those movies as well. And I have a great time doing it and I have a great time watching them. I think that being able to look past that kind of thing uh, really lets you explore the movie a little bit more thoroughly. And um, I think that like, like we said that the zombies are not really supposed to be the threat. And so I think that, them being scary is not really something that Romero is even going for. I think that the scary thing is supposed to be man's inhumanity to man um, and just the way that we treat each other. And I mean, that's not scary in a, Oh God, I'm spooked kind of way. <laughs> that's scary in a boy. I'm going to eat nothing but peanut butter sandwiches and cry myself to sleep for three days kind of thing. <laughs> well, and, and to bring that back to, Ebert's review that we talked about it, it, that that's where I felt like he missed the point is, is that, you know, the human, he said the humans are mostly unpleasant, violent, insane, or so noble. We can predict blah, 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 blah. Right. There's a reason why they are unpleasant or violent or insane. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I, I think that's the threat is what, what causes us as humans to go down those paths and lose our humanity and become violent and become unpleasant. Yeah. I think that if Ebert thinks, well, he's dead now, but if Ebert thought that that wouldn't happen in a real life situation, that he's living in a dream world uh, and that there would absolutely be people who would try and take advantage and try and corrupt the system and try and just hold on to power for their own nefarious causes, just like Captain Rhodes. And, um, and yeah, that threat is really the important thing. So yeah, I think that he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I, I love including Ebert's reviews because I have just utmost respect. I grew up with Ebert as a film critic. That mm. doesn't mean I always agree with him. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing is uh, one of one of his really famous quotes that I really enjoy and I respect a lot is that movies are empathy machines. And I think that sometimes he forgets to approach them that way. Yeah. All right. Any other things you want to throw in before we move into the closing credits here? Uh, no, just that I think everyone should not only watch this, but all three of those uh, first three zombie movies that Romero made. All that's right. It. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Well, so first up, we have the algorithm says, and I, I will tell you, all of Romero's films showed up in the algorithms that I checked at for this. Uh, the idea of this is these are movies that you will like because you liked Day of the Dead. Okay. So we we treat this as a lightning round, whether you like the movie, whether you don't like the movie, whether you haven't seen the movie, whether you don't understand how it's connected with Day <laughs> of the Dead. Um, I did pull Romero's catalog out, though, because sure. we could have just filled it with his movies and i'm sure you've seen those so yes uh, and i like a lot of them so <laughs> all right so uh so here the algorithm says uh night of the living dead the 1990 remake by tom savini it's okay it's only uh, okay yeah it's uh look it's it's a very close remake uh i think that there are some really great acting in it tony todd is in it and it's always a great time to see tony todd um but I, I don't know that he does enough to differentiate it from the original that I would be like, yeah, this is the one you should see unless you're really not into black and white and you just want something in color. Yeah. The original is such a classic for yeah. a good reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. The return of the living dead. Yeah. Also great. Uh, like I said, it's, it's got an insane influence and it, has a lot of comedy to it, which I think is a really interesting way to approach zombie movies actually came out the same year as this movie. So really a great year for zombies. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, Dawn of the dead, the 2004 remake. Ooh, this is going to be a little bit of a hotter take. Not really a fan. Um, I don't really like Zack Snyder's camera work. I like more kind of lockdown shots than a lot of his kind of quick, quick movement kind of stuff. It's a little frantic kind of makes me a little motion sick. Um, And I think that kind of the attitudes of the characters are a little bit more nasty from the beginning, especially Ty Burrell's character. Oh yeah. Ty Ty Burrell's character is that one that I'm talking about that. You just can't wait for him to get what's coming to him. Right. And uh, I don't think that that's quite the same in the original, which allows for a little bit more of an interesting dynamic between them. So not my favorite. Okay. Yeah. I, I mostly I threw this in so I can tell my quick little anecdote, which is I got to see George Romero speak at uh, the last time I went to Dragon Con, which obviously was a while ago since he has passed away. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked him about this movie and his response was very short. It was something along the lines of, I saw it. It was pretty good. But the zombies just move too damn fast. Yeah, I look, I am a <laughs> slow zombies guy. Uh, I just recently watched 28 Days Later, and I think it's spectacular. But does running zombies, man, they just don't do it for me the same way. No, I gotcha. Um, all right, Reanimator. Love it, love it, love it. I thought that this might be the movie that you were talking about earlier, and um, it's yes. one of my favorite <laughs> movies and was very close to actually being the one that I picked. Cool. All right. Evil Dead 2. Also fantastic. Uh, a really great blend of comedy and horror, and I think that uh, even though I just said I don't really like fast-moving camera work, I think that Sam Raimi's camera work in that is really incredible. And uh, Bruce Campbell is just a charisma machine. It just oh, yeah. comes off of him like nothing. So uh, definitely a big fan of that. For s- some reason, I had not seen that one. I would saw you know the first one, and of course, Army of Darkness it mm. was just within the last three months that I finally saw Evil Dead 2 for the first wow. time. Really? What did you think? Oh, I enjoyed it immensely. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I I had heard, and it's a very famous myth, I guess, it, it, you know, kind of handed down that it's just a remake of Evil Dead. And it's not. No, definitely not. But that story is so pervasive, I never saw it because I, I had already seen Evil Dead. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting just because so they the way that it worked out was they wanted to continue the story, but they actually couldn't get the rights from the studio that produced the original evil dead. So they had to kind of, they reshot the synopsis of what happened in evil dead one, but they couldn't just use that footage. So they had to, it like seems like they're remaking it, but it's only like 10 minutes. It's kind of a long synopsis, but it sums up an entire movie. And then everything beyond that is, is uh, just icing on top. And it also, at the, in the credits, it says the sequel to the ultimate experience in horror. And if that's not uh, enough to settle it, I don't know what is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Scanners. 
Scanners I like. Um, it's I, That's an interesting one in terms of how they're connected. Um, definitely a little bit slower paced, kind of like this one, but um, it's pretty good. It's yeah. uh, it's not my favorite. I mean, that scene where the guy's head blows up is <laughs> incredible, but. All right. Then we get into a couple of weird ones. Okay. Nightbreed. Oh, boy. That's a good one. I I really like David Cronenberg's acting in it. I think that he's yeah. a really great villain. And I think that the makeup is really interesting, but I think that it's kind of let down by the story. And I like Clive Barker usually, but it just doesn't quite come together for me. Okay. The Dead Don't Die. Uh, I liked this a little bit. I think that like an hour in, I was kind of like, I get the point. And it still has another (laughs) half hour to go. (laughs) All right. And then lastly, the complete WTF inclusion, Free Jack. I don't know that one. It's a sci-fi movie with Emilio Estevez and Mick Jagger. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I have... I mean, all I can think is the crazy scientist aspect of it as well, but oh, yeah, I, must be it. I had to include it because I just didn't know what the hell it was doing <laughs> on an algorithm for this movie. Seriously, that's funny. All right. We always close with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions related to the movie. Oh, and I'll admit, I I threw at least one gimme in here because I did listen to your podcast episode on the uh, on Day of the Dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here we go. Number one. In the movie, Dr. Logan estimates the ratio of survivors to infected is 400,000 to one. Given this ratio, approximately how many humans is he estimating survived? 600. A, a 600. Yes, absolutely. As I said, I threw a gimme in for you. <laughs> that's it. I just think that that's such a shocking thing to consider that at this point when the movie starts, there's only 600 people left. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I, I like that they put a number on it, and it's a, a devastating number mm-hmm. without having to illustrate it any further than that. Because he, hey, he may even be wrong. Yeah, right. That's yeah, that's an estimation. So, all right, number two, Bub represents a departure from the other zombies in Romero's universe, providing many firsts for his zombies. What is not a first for a zombie in a Romero picture? A, wearing headphones, B, holding a gun, C, firing a gun, or D, talking coherently. Which one is not a first? I'm going to say holding a gun. That's correct. He's actually the third zombie in a Romero movie, I guess, to hold a gun, but he is the first to fire the gun, which uh, I I liked how that was put on your podcast, something about giving a um, killing, giving a a killing monster a killing machine or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, it's it's a hat on a hat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, number three, actor Mark Dodson provides many of the groaning and grunting for the zombies in this movie. What Star Wars role is Dodson most notable for providing a voice for? Wow. A, Ponda Baba, B, Dexter Jetster, C, Neen Noom, or D, Salacious Crumb? This is just going to be a stab in the dark, but I'm going to say Salacious Crumb. Absolutely right. And for people who don't know these characters by their names, that's the little rat thing by Jabba the Hutt that just cackles endlessly (laughs) throughout Return of the Jedi or the first part of Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Last question. The zombie herds contain a variety of differently costumed zombies. Which of the following is not among them? A, a ballerina zombie. B, a clown zombie. C, a baseball player zombie, or D, a Michael Jackson zombie? I don't remember a ballerina, but it feels like there wouldn't be a Michael Jackson zombie. So I'm going to say D. Uh, The ballerina is actually really prominent when they first come into the base. Um, But there is a Michael Jackson zombie, uh, at least according to the trivia. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, It's a baseball player zombie. Oh, interesting. Oh, I guess what well, they probably went with like um the thriller kind of makeup. Yes. Okay, yes. that makes sense. Yeah, according according to the trivia, I again, I I've only seen this the one time and it's, you know, just fairly recently, so I haven't dug into it, but according to the trivia, there it. is a thriller Michael Jackson zombie. Oh, uh, fun fact. Right. George Romero was also a zombie in it. Yes, I was actually going to throw that question in, but I didn't get a chance to see where he was. So. Oh, he so you actually don't see his face. He uh he just has like his sweater on and he just like walks in front of the camera and it's just from like the waist down. But it's him. 
<laughs> cool. All right, man. Uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, yeah, go listen to my show, please. Uh, if you like hearing people talk about the personal side of horror, then check out the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. What's really exciting to me about doing this show is hearing what makes movies special to someone. I mean, we're definitely hitting a lot of the classics like Alien, like The Thing, but we also get some really interesting picks uh, like Phantasm, like Jennifer's Body. Um, we actually just finished recording an episode of um, Lost Highway, the David Lynch movie. So Ooh. seeing why these movies are quote unquote the best to uh, to our guest is uh, is just a lot of fun. And I it's a very positive show as well. For every episode, I'm in on it. I am also saying that it's the best horror movie ever made. So it's just two people having fun agreeing with each other about something being good. And what's better than that? So check that out. Uh, we're on all major podcasting platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Um, and the show is on Twitter at Little Horror PHL. And that also applies to Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, I really enjoyed the episodes I got to listen to um, for pretty much exactly the reasons that that you said. And also the reasons I like doing my own show is um, you definitely bring in personal stuff into the show. And I think that's great to, to get your guests to discuss their personal connections with a movie beyond just the movie itself. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's been a really great opportunity for me to also expand my own palette with horror as well. You know, I've watched movies that I had never seen before and had maybe never even would have considered before. Like one of them was uh, like a direct to video uh grudge sequel <laughs> like, and you know what it was a great movie i really had a blast with it so you never know and uh when people are talking about the things that connect with them sometimes you really get some pleasant surprises yeah well man day of the dead was a pleasant surprise for me i uh you know when i've gone this far without seeing something so obvious it it almost makes it feel like i'm just going to be let down but right. i'm really glad to have gotten to see it so thank you for giving me the the reason to watch it absolutely glad you enjoyed it so that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media, share your thoughts about Day of the Dead, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Town Hess on Twitter or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook where at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or email me at Have Not Seen This on gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week, where we follow a mop-topped bunch of musicians from Liverpool through a day of the life on tour. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to George for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rave Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This.